You may be seated. This morning as we turn to Luke chapter 1, we're actually picking up with the story of Mary going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth who was barren and not having any children and advanced in years. And so uh, the story goes according to Luke. And by the way, you wonder how did we get these stories? I mean, who was around to record them? And you look at Luke's stories about the birth and about the narrative of the stories that came before Jesus was ever born. And of course, the obvious and the most correct answer is that Luke didn't guess. He he actually researched. He says so in the beginning of chapter 1. He went to Mary. He went to Mary. And he actually heard from her own lips what happened at the birth of Christ. And so we have been given these words by the Lord Jesus by our God because we do not, he did not want us to be ignorant about the importance of his coming into the world, being born in human flesh. And so I want to ask if you'll stand with me as we read in chapter 1 of Luke. We're going to begin with verse 39 and then we're going to go all the way to verse 55, verse 39 through 55. I invite you now to hear the word of God. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed or blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His name, or holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of God. You may be seated. You know, one of the joys of coming into a relationship with Christ is realizing that there are certain passages of scriptures as unbelievers um, we would never be able to appreciate and to enjoy and to relish in. And so in light of that, we come to a passage this morning that really speaks to, really speaks to the Christian 
It speaks to the Christian because in light of that, it talks about a love that renews. And that love is a love that is given by God and it renews us and brings us into a relationship with God. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, relationships are tough these days. Have you noticed? Relationships are very tough. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of love to be in a relationship with people. And so if you're, if you're in a family, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where if you get closer to people, the harder it is to love them. Did you know that, by the way? If you get closer to people, the harder it is to love them. Why? Because they don't fit your desires. They don't follow what you determine to be right and wrong. And so one of the things that is, is endemic of the problem of being human is we know that we are not perfect creatures, but we expect everyone else to be. You don't believe it? I've seen the way you drive. You tell other people how to drive all the time, don't you? But you never think about the fact that you're driving over the speed limit as well. Well, that's only a small example of the real problem that humanity faces and so God has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in this, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what does that mean, it, that perish part? Well, it means the fact that we are perishing in our sins. You are perishing in your sin. Apart from Christ, there is no other salvation, no other remedy, no other hope. And in that condition, God loved you so much that before you ever cared for him or thought of him or desired him, God loved you that he sent Christ into the world. And so for that reason, we come to this story as a story that we begin to delve into this love that is so miraculous and so timeless and so fulfilling because it literally fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament. And so in light of that, when you look at the setting that we're looking at this morning, we're going to set the stage for you by talking about two people, first Elizabeth and then Mary. Please notice first that God's promise through Elizabeth was this. And if you read it in chapter, chapter 1, you go back to verse 39, you, you find it quite powerful because it tells us there that there as they were beginning to, to come together, that those two women were being used by gods in ways they did not deserve. They did not deserve God's mercy or grace. And so in light of that, if you look at verse 39, it says at that time Mary got ready to, and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Well, what was the big deal about that? Well, remember, Mary had been told by the angels, you're going to give birth to a son. She's never known a man. And she says, how can this be? And he says, the Holy Spirit will be upon you. The power of the Almighty will overshadow you and you will give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I want you to know that in our earlier years of marriage, we went through infertility. And one of the worst things you can tell, at, tell a couple who is dealing with infertility is, well, one day it will happen to you because you don't know that. You don't know. That's like pouring alcohol on an open wound for a couple who struggles in this area. What I imagine is it must have been even harder for Mary who has never known a man or be married and lives in a culture where if she did such a thing outside of marriage, she would be stoned to death. 
to suddenly realize that she is going to be the vessel of a child to be born. And the shock and the honor and the concern that must come upon her brow. And so in the midst of that, she rushes, after hearing this information, she rushes to Elizabeth's home. Now why? Some people look at the text and say, well, the reason is because Mary was ashamed. She was fearful because now she was going to be pregnant out of wedlock. And so she got out of town. I don't buy that. I don't think that's right. I think here was the problem. I think the problem was she was still in shock. And she needed confirmation. And where better to find the confirmation than to go to a cousin who was, as the scriptures tell us, Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to have children. And in that day, ladies, if you didn't have a child, you were considered sub-woman. And now she has heard from the same person, the same angel who told her that she would give birth to the promised Messiah, that her cousin was giving birth to a child who would precede him. And the scriptures say she hurried. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. I, 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 I was driving around Friday night and I just saw people hurrying everywhere. It was a mess. But Mary hurried to Elizabeth's house. Why? Because she was fleeing shame? No. She was wanting to confirm in her mind this was really happening. This was really happening. Bill Woods, who was the son of A.W. Woods, was at a funeral for his father. A.W. had passed away. We were in the funeral home here in Mooresville. And we were standing looking at the casket as A.W. was laying in that casket and his, all that was left was his body. And Bill was standing beside me and he was just looking at his dad in that coffin and he suddenly looked at me and said, you know, it's going to be wonderful. And I looked at him and I said, what? He said, you know, if it's true, it's going to be wonderful. What are you talking about, Bill? He said, you know, you know all the things we've been taught that one day those who have fallen asleep are going to be risen from the grave. That we're going to see them again and they're going to be glorified just as Jesus was on that day of resurrection. He says, when that happens, we'll probably have to pinch ourselves because it will be so good. And I thought, he's got it. He's got it. You see, Mary had been told that she would finally give birth to a child that they had been waiting hundreds of years to receive. And many had got, given up hope. Because the one who was promised by God in the Old Testament was someone who was going to do something no one else could do for themselves. He was going to restore them as a people. And God was going to do this because of his love. And the First indication is that God restores Elizabeth by giving her a baby. And Mary can't wait to see it. In fact, the Bible says that Mary was so overwhelmed by hurrying there, she got there quick and then she stayed there long. You've heard Ben Franklin's quote, 
you know, guests are like fish. They, they last about three days, and then you want them to kind of move on. Mary stayed three months until the baby was born. The second thing we learn from the, from the text is that God's promise to Mary. After Mary had been promised that she would give birth to a child, it wasn't just any child. I must tell you, I, some of you are this way, and I understand it now. You'll, you'll bring me pictures of your grandchildren, and you'll open your wallet, and the pictures fall out, and they fall all the way to the floor. If, you know what I'm talking about? It's like 100 pictures all at one time. Now we come with our cell phone, right? And we come with a cell phone, and what do we do? We just begin, and, and it's like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And, and I, I was laughing because one person was saying, look how that baby is smiling at me. I just didn't have the... I didn't have the compassion to tell them um, that baby has gas. You can tell the overwhelming pride. Well, my nephew just gave birth to his second daughter. Would you like to see a picture? When that child was born, I was at a funeral for my sister-in-law. So her dad had passed away. And so as we were grieving the loss of one, we had the birth of another, and it's just this renewing sense that there's something that's going to continue, that something's going to be good. And so as we think of babies being born, there's this sense that something is going to happen down the road that will be better than it is now. Mary wasn't feeling that. It wasn't that Mary was extending her own lineage. Mary was being told that she was going to be the mother of the future hope of the world. The only hope of the world. And so when you think of her life, you would think, okay, well, that's something to be proud of. Well, interestingly enough, she is proud. But she's proud of God. She says, God has had mercy upon me. Why did she say that? Because she realized she was not worthy to be the vessel that God would use to bring redemption for her own life into the world, much less the world itself. Well, that leads then to what this child will mean. And you notice it's Christ the Messiah. By the way, Jesus Christ, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Did y'all know that? Because there are people in the world who don't know this now. They think Jesus Christ is a full name. They don't understand that Christ is a title. It's a title that represents a Greek or Anglicanized form of a word, Messiah, in the Hebrew. And the most amazing thing is that these Jews who still practice their Judaism today are awaiting a Messiah. They say they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he was a failed Messiah. Did you know that? How did Jesus fail? He did not inaugurate the kingdom of David. And so to this day, the Jews are waiting for a child to be born who will reestablish the kingdom of Israel and usher in a time of peace for all the Jews in the world. They're still waiting. And yet some are hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ. They call themselves being fully fulfilled as Jews. 
Well, who is this child and what will he be? What will will be the importance of him? Well, it's God's redeeming promise of the Messiah, of the Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, it deals with three areas that are important. It deals with the fact that we are a people who need a priest. We We are people who need someone to help us have a relationship with God, the creator who made us. We are a people who need a prophet. We need someone to reveal to us who the real God is because the world is filled with religions that talk about who God is, but they have no idea because it is always from man's view of who God is, whereas Christianity and all that we know is not our view of God. It is God's revelation of himself to us, and it is that full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus was born and God became flesh, that moment became the clarity for the world to know this is the living God. This is what he's like. This is how he treats us. This is how he acts. This is what he declares. And so in light of that, when we think of Jesus being our priest, if you go back to verse 50 and Mary begins to cry out this tremendous song that she sings, she sings about, first of all, in verse 50, that God's mercy is extended to those who fear him from generation to generation. What is she talking about? Well, one of the things that God did was as he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people Keep my ordinance, my statutes, my laws. Follow me and I will bless you. If you turn from me, you will find only cursing. But as you follow me, as you obey me, as you keep my commandments, I will bless you and bless your nation and spread my, my word throughout the whole world through you so that all the world will know that there is one true God. And you go back in the history of humanity in every culture, every culture except for the Jews, there was this belief in multiple gods. But not with them. They had come to know the one true God. And so when they followed God or when they failed God, they needed some way to be reclaimed by God. And God established the priesthood. He separated a part of them to be priests. They were called the Levites. And he said, I'm going to appoint them to be the intermediaries so that when you need forgiveness of sins, you will come to the temple, you will offer an animal as a sacrifice, and I will make atonement for you, God says. And so the Levites were devoted to helping the people of God stay in a relationship with God. And that was the first thing that Jesus came to do. Jesus has come to be your priest. So that when you come to know the living God and you begin to try to walk with God and follow him, when those moments when you slip or fall or fail, God is able to intervene into your life. And as a priest, Jesus himself prays for you. He upholds you with his mighty hand. He is literally your advocate with the Father. You don't believe me? Do you have another hour? Because if you do, I could open up the book of Hebrews and explain it all to you from there. That Jesus is our high priest. We don't go to priests anymore and do confessions. Why? You, you, by the way, I, I've had someone do that. They came to me and said, they said, Pastor, I need, to, I need to confess to you my sins. I'm thinking, oh boy. yeah. What did they do? 
No, we don't do that anymore. There was a woman in Statesville at First Church when I was serving as an associate, and she said, you know, I understand why the Catholic Church has, com- has confession. I said, well, we were all supposed to have confession. What are you talking about? She said, I know why they have the priest specifically receive people's confessions. And I said, okay, Arlene, why? She said, well, think about it. If you were a priest, can you imagine how boring your life would be? Wouldn't you want somebody telling you the bad things they've done in life? And I thought about that for a while, and I thought, no, I wouldn't want people to tell me the bad things they've done in life because I don't want to know. But Christ does. He already knows. You see, that's the joy of being this son who has come into the world is that Jesus is not like the priest of the Old Testament. He's the perfect priest. He already knows where you fail. And he intercedes for you. And he prays for you. And he's your advocate with the Father. And this is what Mary is experiencing as she sings this song in verse 50. She says, God's mercy extends. Extends to who? It extends to all those who fear him from generation to generation. So that even people in the Old Testament, as they went to the temple and they offered their sacrifices, they didn't believe the blood of an animal gave forgiveness of sins. They believed God when he said, one day I will send the perfect sacrifice who will make an atonement for you. But until that day, come and confess your sins and I will forgive you. And so when Christ died on the cross, he didn't die just for those who came after Jesus. He died for all sin in every generation at every time, even those of the Old Testament. The second thing that's so beautiful about this passage is that Jesus is our prophet. Look at verse 51. Look carefully. He says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that when we are apart from God, we think we know how to live our lives. But we don't. Because we don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. And God in his mighty work all through the Old Testament revealed himself in such ways that when people wanted to know who they were, they had the ability to look back to the Ten Commandments and know who God was. You remember the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any idols of anything. You you shall not take my name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day. This is how we are to love God. This is what it means to be free, to love God and to live life, is that we have a relationship with God. This was message of the Old Testament that still carries on through Christ today. He is the one who speaks to us, not that we disobey the word of God, it's that we long to obey it. And so as we read the scriptures, as God reveals his mighty salvation in Christ, as he works in our hearts to transform us so that we begin to love God more and more and more, Mary says, he has done mighty deeds. What deeds? He has transformed a heart of flesh to long for God and to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And then thirdly, this powerful passage in verse 52, Mary says, Jesus is not only our priest, our prophet. Look at this. This is it. He is our king. You say, what? Well, look carefully. Verse 32. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich. What is she describing? She is describing the exact opposite of what the world holds on to. Jesus supplies for us what we could not give ourselves and even more. He is the king who rules both heaven and earth. And so because of that, he will be worshipped and he alone. Now, why, why is that so important? Well, think about what's happening in our days. When people are asking the question, well, aren't there many ways to God? No. Aren't there, isn't there more than one way to be saved? No. If you're sincere, won't you go to heaven? No. Why? Because there is only one way under heaven that God has given that we might be saved. It is through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has been given all authority and power and dominion. Remember in the Nicene Creed, he now sits at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the quick and the dead. Do you hear that? And so as Mary is singing this song, this song is filled with overwhelming revelation of what God has done throughout the Old Testament all the way up to the coming of Christ. And it speaks about God doing what he promised long ago and bringing fulfillment to it in the baby being born in that manger. And so when Mary gave birth to that child, she knew that she wasn't just giving birth to a baby. She was giving birth to the future hope of the world. The true prophet, the priest, and the king. Have you heard of the Hallelujah Chorus? Have you heard of that? Do you know the story behind why we stand for that? As I understand the story, the Queen of England was listening for the first time to this beautiful rendition of music that was speaking of the glory of the coming of the Son of God into the world. And when that last part of that beautiful Music was being sung. And it's called what? The Hallelujah Chorus, right? When she heard that, she stood. Which meant everyone else in the kingdom had to stand. And people said, why is the queen standing? And her response was, because he is the king of king and lord of lords. She got it. Mary writes about this Jesus that he has brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. What does he mean? She means more than anything else that God in Jesus Christ is in control of your world. Nothing happens that doesn't fit God's plan of salvation. Now, I know. You're saying we're living in rough times. We are. 
But do you know that Jesus said it's going to get a lot worse than this before he comes again? Did you know that? He said men and women will become lovers of self and lovers of money. They'll give themselves over to all kinds of pleasure and desires. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences. But that is only the birth pang. And then the kingdom will come. I'm kind of like Bill. Bill Woods, remember? When we sing the hallelujah chorus, and he shall reign for ever and ever. When will, we, when will we see it? Well, let me tell you, when we do, y'all will come up to me and you'll say, Robert, can you believe this? This is too good to believe. Amen? Yeah. Perhaps this morning you've never given your life to Christ. And you're beginning to see how you need a priest. You need someone to help you to get to God. You need a prophet. You need someone to speak to you clearly about who God is. And what God does in sending Christ. And how much he loves you. And wants you to turn from your sins. And to trust and believe in him. Or maybe you're someone who's needing a king. You're confused about right and wrong. Left and up and down, in and out. You need moral guidance. Let me tell you, this is why Christ was born. So that you might know the one true God and live a right life through him. Would you like to receive him? Are you ready to turn from your sins? Would you be willing to make him your king, your Lord? Will you follow his word? And Jesus invites you. Cry out to me. And I will save you. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we close our time in prayer, we pray for that ability to cling to Jesus Christ. As we celebrate this fourth season of Advent, this fourth Sunday of Advent, you, you have given us these days to prepare our hearts for his coming because he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And so there may be someone in the sound of my voice who suddenly now gets it. They understand. They are separated from God because of their sin and they need Christ to come and lead them in forgiveness finding the forgiveness that you offer, the cleansing you will give, and the renewing that you will place in their hearts. And so if, if they've prayed that prayer, God, I'm a sinner, I need you to forgive me. I need you in my life that you hear that prayer and you answer it in full. That's all it takes. And then as you go from this place, you begin to pursue Jesus Christ. He is now your prophet, your priest, your king. There may be someone else who is struggling this morning who, 
who made that commitment long ago, but they know that they have compromised on their allegiance to Christ. They're living in places where they shouldn't, occupying rooms that were never meant for them. And yet you love them so much. And your desire is for for each of us to trust you and follow your word. Give us the grace to do so. As we go from this place, renew our hearts, strengthen our minds, and renew us in the spirit of Christ. For in those words, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare Jesus. He gave him for us all. How will not God also give us all things as we love him? And so Jesus, hear our prayers wherever we are, whatever places we find ourselves today. We ask and we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said together, Amen. Love has come for you. Love has come for me. And we're going to sing about that love in hymn number 256 as we leave this place today. Would you stand with me as we close our service singing Love Has Come? Sing together. Thank you.